So if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Ephesians. We are teaching through the book of Ephesians here at Hope. And occasionally for these Christmas services, I may choose a different text. But the the theme, just continuing through Ephesians, fits so much in what we've been talking about. So we're continuing in Ephesians today, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But as you turn there, um, I do want to mention on your chair, you probably noticed a a prayer card. Uh, We actually have a prayer gathering for our church uh, after worship. So we'll have coffee after the service, but then at Grace in my home, my wife and me, we have a, a, a gathering for lunch and prayer. Um, you're all invited, um, even if you're just visiting. Uh, we have food, we have soup, we have bread, we have salad. Uh, there will be there'll be plenty of food. And so I encourage you to come out for that time of, of prayer. And we do this monthly, uh, but you'll see a place where you can write prayer requests. Um, and at some point during the sermon or after the sermon or after the service, I would encourage you to, to write a prayer request on there. You can put your name. Um, there's a place for contact information. If we don't have your contact, you don't have to fill that out. But you'll notice also that you can check three different boxes, one of three. Uh, there's confidential, so that will be just the pastoral staff will be praying for you. Um, or if you, if you check personal, then we'll pray for you at the prayer gathering, but it won't be on any printed list. And if you check public, We'll pray for you as the pastoral staff, we'll pray for you at the prayer gathering, and we'll put you on our prayer list so that others in the church can be lifting up that request. And again, this could be Thanksgiving, it could be something that you were praying for, something for you, for a friend, for a family member, for uh, the nation. So I'd encourage you to, to hold on to that and to fill that out in our service. But as I said, today we are in... The book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and we we talked about the mystery of the gospel that Paul has been unpacking, that he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Now we'll pick up in verse 8 of Ephesians, chapter 3. Paul says, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering, which is your glory. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we study this text together that we would not lose heart, 
that you would remind us of your glory, of your power, of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Lord, I I know that I am limited. I'm a a flawed human. And to unpack the the message of this text and to apply it um, is beyond anything that is within me by nature. So Lord, I pray for me as the the preacher that you would give me grace, that you would give me the the strength of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I, I pray for those who hear as well that that we could hear your word with, with humility, with, with faith, laying it up in our hearts, that we can see the outcome of our faith, that we can see the fruit of our faith that overflows in love. And so, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think that the last year, the last few years have been difficult for many within this church, in the larger world. Even looking out in the room, I, I, I know that there are people here who have lost loved ones recently. I know that there are people who have struggled with cancer recently. I know that there are people who are dealing with difficult medical conditions. I, I know that there is, is real suffering that we face in life. And that whenever we face suffering, whether it's suffering that comes into our lives personally, or even it's the suffering that comes as we come alongside someone else who is suffering, which is also real suffering, joining in the suffering of others, that we're we're tempted to be discouraged. We're tempted to lose heart. We're tempted to, to give up. And as Paul writes here to this church in Ephesus, he had this pastoral concern for the Christians here back in the first century. He was concerned that they would lose heart. Look at verse 13 in your Bible. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering. The Apostle Paul was in prison at this point, writing this letter. We know that from verse 1 of chapter 3, verse 1 of chapter 4. He was in prison for preaching the gospel, for trying to bring the gospel to the Gentile nations. He often talks about himself as a servant in chains. And I think that that's a literal image, that he was in literal chains for the gospel. At various times, he was under house arrest. He was beaten. He was abused. He was mistreated. He was abandoned by so many of his friends and companions. Paul was going through real suffering as he was writing this letter. But then notice his concern. It's not just about himself, but he recognizes that the Ephesian church could be discouraged. They're they're hearing reports about his imprisonment. They're hearing reports about his suffering. They, They recognize that in some ways this seems like it's interrupting the ministry of the gospel. This great apostle who had been planting churches and evangelizing 
all around the Mediterranean is in prison, and it seems like this is going to, to interrupt the expansion of the church, of the gospel. How could any good come out of this suffering? And then Paul recognized that the Ephesian Christians could lose heart over what he was suffering. And I think that's often the case, that we can certainly lose heart in our own suffering, but we can also lose heart over the suffering of others that we love and that we care about. So Paul says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering. And look at the first word in verse 13. In my translation, it's the word so. Some of your translations may have the word therefore. This is drawing an inference from what Paul has been talking about up until this point. He's saying, so, therefore, in light of everything that I've been saying since chapter 3, verse 2, I ask you not to lose heart. And that's what we're going to, to do for the rest of our time today. We're going to explore this theme. How is it that we cannot lose heart in the midst of suffering? And we're going to see what, how what Paul says in the preceding verses shines light on that and helps us not lose heart in the midst of suffering, whether it's our own suffering or coming alongside someone else who is suffering. So how do we not lose heart? And the first thing is to remember the big story of redemption. Remember the big story of redemption. And look at how Paul describes this big story in the text. Look back at verse 9. He says that he was made an apostle by the grace of God. And he says that his purpose was to bring to light for everyone, and I love the words here, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. He packs so much content in that phrase. And that's a Pauline way of saying the big story of redemption, that he's saying the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. We're looking at how he talks about that same plan in verse 10, how through the church, the manifold wisdom of God has now been made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly place. This is the, the manifold, the, the many-sided, the multi-dimensional wisdom of God on display to the, the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This big story of redemption. Or look at how he describes it in verse 11. He says that all of this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's not a purpose that was invented later. This is the eternal purpose. The purpose of God for redemption that was in the mind of God from all eternity that has now been realized in time and in space through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the, the big story of redemption. And it's this big story that we have heard already in this service through those seven readings. You could think of the first lesson from Genesis, 
where God gives a, a promise to Adam and Eve after their sin that the seed of the woman would eventually crush the head of the serpent. That is the first promise of the gospel in seed form. Then we move from, from that to the promise to Abraham 2,000 years before the birth of Christ where, where God came to Abraham, later called Abraham, and, and said that through the offspring of Abraham, all the nations would be blessed, that his offspring would be like the stars of the heaven beyond number. And then we saw how that promise was delivered hundreds of years later to David, King David, and God promised that, that he would always have a son on the throne, that, that this offspring that would crush the head of the serpent would also be a son of David to rule and to reign on the throne forever and ever, that, that David wanted to build a house for the Lord in Jerusalem. But God says, no, David, I will build your house, the house of David. And then we saw how those promises were given further depth, as we saw in Isaiah, that, that this offspring of the woman would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We saw how he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then we saw the announcement of that to, to David, or sorry, to uh, Joseph, that the son born to Mary would be called Jesus, that he would save his people from their sins. The announcement to the shepherds on the first Christmas night. And then ultimately we saw it climax in those readings from the book of Revelation, going from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, that it brings the new heavens and, and the, the new earth coming down out of heaven, a place where there's no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain, where, where people can eat from the tree of life freely, bringing back those images from the beginning in the chat in Genesis. And so then you see this, this big unfolding story of God. That's a true story. In Paul's language in our text, this is the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is the eternal purpose of God that has now been realized, the manifold wisdom of God. You say, well then, how does this big story of redemption help me in the midst of suffering? Paul says, so I ask you not to lose heart. How can this story this unfolding purpose of God, help us not lose heart in the midst of suffering. And if God is able to direct the course of history for his glory, if, he, if he's able to take this seed of promise given to Adam and Eve in the garden and carry that theme all the way through real history and space and time to Jesus, to to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again from the dead, bringing the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. If he can organize all of this for his glory, with all of the suffering and the pain in that, that story, especially thinking that the suffering of Jesus on the cross, bringing out the salvation of his people. If God can move the vast motions of history and the, the planets all for his glory, 
then how much more can he move and direct the events of our life, the suffering that we face, the suffering that our friends and family face for his own glory? So for all of us, I I would call us to remember this big story of redemption, to take the story of our life and read it and interpret it in light of this bigger story, giving it meaning, purpose, direction, clarity. Perhaps you've heard of Viktor Frankl. He was a Jewish psychiatrist who was imprisoned in a concentration camp during World War II. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Some of you may have read it in college or a class at some point. And you may remember that that his great thesis in that book was that as he suffered in the concentration camp, he noticed a difference between some people who who gave up and didn't make it and, and those who persevered even in the midst of that profound suffering. And his insight was that it was this sense of, of purpose, of hope, that, that those who could imagine a future reality and hold on to that purpose and that meaning and that hope could endure all kinds of profound suffering in their life. Now, he wasn't a Christian, and yet there is still an insight there. Because especially for those who believe the Bible is the word of God, for those who believe that God, the second person of the Trinity, stepped into history, taking on himself a true human nature, being born on the first Christmas. And this unfolding story is not something that was made up by the poets to make us feel better about ourselves. But this is true. This is reality that the picture that we heard in the book of Revelation of this future hope, that is a real hope for everyone who is in Christ. That is reality. That is a reality that transcends even the reality of our current suffering, that that it is real. And so then when we interpret the moments of our suffering in light of that bigger reality, it gives us meaning. It gives us hope. It gives us purpose, which It's not just wishful thinking. It is reality rooted in the eternal purpose of God that has now been realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So again, remember our theme. How can we not lose heart in the midst of suffering? So the first thing we said was that we need to remember this big story of redemption. But it's important to know that that big story of redemption is not simply about the movement of nations. It's not about only vast movements of of nations on the stage of history. That at the center of that big story is a person, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so if we're not going to lose heart in the midst of suffering, we need to remember the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the second way that we can confront suffering. Look at verse 7 in your Bible. 
Paul says that he was made a minister according to the gift of God. And then in verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, notice his humility, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That for Paul, he has no greater desire than to go out into the world proclaiming what he calls the unsearchable riches of Christ. And of course, there's content to his teaching. There's, there's real information about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. But he calls it unsearchable because you're never going to get to the bottom of Jesus. You're, you can always go deeper. And he calls it unsearchable riches because that's what we have in Jesus. We have the true treasure. We have the true pearl of great price. We have true hope, true life, riches in Jesus. And Paul says, that is my theme. That is what I came to preach. And notice how he describes these unsearchable riches in verse 11. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose. There's the big story of redemption that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the person at the center of that story, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So notice what Paul says we have through faith in Christ. He says we have access. That means that we have access to the Father, that without Christ, we're separated from God because of our sin. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we're brought near by the blood of Christ. The way into the holy place is opened up through Jesus. The, the way to the throne room of God is open. And it says we not only have access, but we have boldness, that we can approach with boldness to the throne of grace. Boldness in prayer. Boldness in worship. And even adds boldness with confidence just in case we didn't get the message. Boldness with confidence to the Lord. But this also means that we can have boldness and confidence in the midst of suffering. And that's what Paul wants us to see in verse 13. He says, I ask you not to lose heart. And why? Because of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Know the access you have to the Father. Know the boldness that you have in prayer. Know the confidence that you can have in Jesus Christ, your Savior. Hold on to that promise. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Never take your eyes off of Jesus in the midst of suffering. You can think of Peter. Remember how in Matthew chapter 14, he was in the boat in the storm. Jesus came walking on water. And Peter wanted to walk out to meet Jesus. And so he ventured out onto the water. And at first he, he was walking on water. And then it says that as he looked at the waves and the storm, he began to sink. And that there's something for us in that picture, that, that when we keep our eyes on the storm of suffering around us, we begin to lose heart. We begin to be discouraged. But when we keep our eyes on Christ alone, when we keep our eyes on the unsearchable riches of Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, 
then we can suffer, knowing that then ultimately our suffering is suffering with Christ, holding on to the glory that is ours in Christ, that we can suffer with our eyes on Jesus, knowing that, that he will pull us through the fiery storm, the fiery waters of suffering into the hope and joy of eternal life. So that's the second way then that we can not lose heart in the face of suffering. Then here's the third and final way. How can we not lose heart in the midst of suffering? And the third answer is to remember the profound connection between suffering and glory. The connection between suffering and glory. Look in your Bible at verse 13 again. Paul says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You say, well, wait a second, Paul. How could your suffering be the glory of the Ephesian Christians? What is this connection that you're drawing out between suffering and glory? How can suffering be glory? Because they're the opposite. We think of them as completely opposite. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in in 2 Timothy, his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, Therefore, I endure everything. I endure all the suffering for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul is saying there that I'm willing to endure this suffering because my goal is the salvation of my hearers, that that through going, if I go through suffering, it will result by God's grace in men, women, children coming to, to faith in Christ. And that's what Paul is also saying in our text from Ephesians 3. He's saying, don't worry, Ephesian Christians. I am suffering to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And Ephesian Christians, you are an example of the Gentile nations who have come to Christ through my suffering. That there is good that is coming from my suffering. There's glory, eternal glory, eternal hope coming through my suffering that The suffering is not in vain. The labor is not in vain. God is bringing hope and purpose through that suffering. And that's because according to the Bible, there is a connection between suffering and glory. Turn back to to Romans chapter 8 in your Bible. Romans chapter 8. Sometimes Romans 8 is called the the central chapter of the entire Bible. It draws together the themes of redemption in in such a beautiful way. Listen to what it says in verse 16 of Romans chapter 8. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There is the boldness in access that we have. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, then listen, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We suffer with him 
in order to be glorified with him, that the path to glory is through the valley of suffering. And then in the next verse, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age, this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That there's no comparison, the suffering giving way to glory. This is something that is so unique to Christianity. Within many religious systems, suffering is a sign that there is something wrong with you, that suffering is a sign that you've been cursed by the gods, it's, it's bad karma, that if, you, if somebody's suffering, you want to stay away from the person who's suffering because it's, it's clearly a reflection of something wrong with them. But listen to what Paul is saying, that, that no, that suffering is the path of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he went through the suffering of his life, the suffering of the cross, the suffering of crucifixion, into the glory of new life. And that Paul is saying that the pathway to that glory is with Jesus through suffering in this life. And that's great comfort for us. Because I think that whenever we're suffering or whenever we are walking alongside someone else who is suffering, the suffering feels completely purposeless. It feels pointless. It feels hopeless. It feels as if nothing good could come from this. No glory could come through this. But yet, the Bible has this beautiful theology of suffering. That glory comes through suffering. So when Paul says, don't lose heart over what I am suffering, which is your glory. Just the last thing I want to leave you with is this, that I'm sure many of you are suffering today. Maybe the the Christmas season is bringing suffering, reminding you of suffering that you have endured throughout your life. So do you know the big story of redemption? Do you know the unsearchable riches of Christ? Do you know the connection between suffering and glory that is promised within the pages of Scripture? Then if so, I'll join the Apostle Paul as your pastor, saying with Paul in verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what you are suffering, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, we know that as we pass from the city of destruction to the celestial city that we endure suffering. Lord, suffering is is part of this life, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual. And Lord, we are so tempted to lose heart. Lord, I pray for anyone here or watching this online who is feeling hopeless, who's tempted to give up, to lose hope either for themselves or for another, that you would keep them rooted I pray for all of us that we would believe the big story of redemption, the eternal purpose that has been realized in Christ, that we would believe that story is real and that we would see our place within that story, that by your grace in Christ, you you have written us into your story of redemption. I pray that that would be the framework for our lives, not our individual moments of suffering. And Lord, I I pray as well that, that we wouldn't, ever take our eyes off of Jesus. I pray for Jesus to be the center of our vision, whether life is going great 
why their life is full of suffering, that we would grow deeper, even in our suffering, to see the unsearchable riches of Christ. Because Lord, we know your, your, your riches are beyond imagination. And often it's our suffering that draws out the riches of Christ. And so we pray for that experience of your riches in this world, Lord, and that we know that there's this connection in your providence through suffering. We see it in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But Lord, let us know that our suffering is not in vain, that there is purpose, there is glory that will come through it, in it, that you would be glorified in all. So we pray this in Jesus' name.